section twenty eight of the wars of the roses by robert balmain moat this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter nineteen the last of the lancastrians part three edward heard of her landing on april sixteenth when he was at london he had to allow some days for the resting and refreshing of his men who had fought at barnet and for the raising of new forces in the friendly home counties meanwhile he himself went down to windsor castle and celebrated st george's day april twenty third then he set out to find queen margaret's army which his spies informed him was in the region of cornwall and marching toward the northwest for queen margaret and her force had left exeter and taken the direct road to glastonbury and from there to bath as she went along she gathered more armed men to her standard it was her object to get into the severn valley for although the yorkist family had large estates and great influence in the central district of the welsh march around ludlow yet on the whole the rest of the march country seems to have favoured the lancastrians margaret might find support there and be able to join forces with jasper tudor so king edward planned to meet her and offer battle by the severn about gloucester and tewkesbury where for an army coming from the direction of bath is the gate of wales king edward marching through the country on the north side of the thames reached cirencester on april twenty ninth at the time when queen margaret was approaching bath he believed from what his scouts told him that margaret was coming up to offer battle but instead she marched to bristol where she received a good welcome and reinforcement in men money and especially artillery on may second margaret sent some mounted men to sudbury to inspect and occupy a field for battle with king edward but when edward whose scouts or spies brought him this information marched up in his best order to sudbury he found no enemy there queen margaret's force had slipped past and was marching post haste for gloucester this was the critical moment of the campaign if margaret got over the severn at gloucester she would have been able to join with jasper tudor and to raise the whole of wales in arms and so to go on to lancashire but king edward selected one of his officers richard beecham son of lord beecham and sent him on with a company of men-at-arms to occupy gloucester and hold it against margaret for the few hours necessary to enable him to bring up his army beecham moved quicker than the larger body of troops with margaret and reached gloucester in time to put it into a state of defence against the attack of the lancastrians some of the citizens seemed to have favoured the lancastrians so that the arrival of beecham was very timely for the cause of king edward margaret and her forces came up at ten in the morning may third fourteen seventy one after a forced march and found they were too late with edward's force on their heels they did not dare to deliver an assault on the town there was no course open to them but to push on as quickly as they could till they could find some means of crossing the severn they had already been marching all night and it took them till nearly five p m to reach tewkesbury which was only ten miles further on there was no bridge here the army was dead tired and had lost its compactness many men had fallen out of the ranks and become for the time mere stragglers edward's army well equipped and well led 
was not far off now so margaret was compelled to stop and give battle she had still time to choose a good position and to face the enemy without the panic that might arise from a further flight edward had been marching apparently in a course parallel to that of the lancastrians we are told he came by open country champagne on the slopes of the cotswolds to a village called cheltenham where he received definite news that the lancastrians were at tewkesbury his force was all ready for the fight being arranged in the usual three battles with an adequate number of mounted scouts in advance and on both sides with his customary energy he refused to allow his men to rest in the pleasant village of cheltenham but pushed on towards tewkesbury when his army had proceeded five miles out of the eight that separated them from the lancastrians the evening had closed in and it became necessary to halt for the night this respite must have been welcome to both sides especially to the weary lancastrians for these must have realized how impossible it was to shake off the determined pursuit of king edward next day saturday may fourth fourteen seventy one as it dawned bright and clear edward had his trumpets sounded and drew up his forces in battle and advanced to the lancastrian position queen margaret and prince edward seem to have relied for their dispositions on the advice of edmund duke of somerset the position was skilfully chosen one mile outside the town of tewkesbury they occupied elevated ground in an angle formed by the swillgate brook and the river avon behind was the abbey and town of tewkesbury the ground in front of them was broken up by hedges bushes and ditches a common feature in the severn valley somerset commanded the right prince edward had the central battle and the earl of devon had the left in three battles also the yorkists made their advance edward led the centre gloucester had the right and hastings the left which was held in reserve the attack must have taken place early in the day the yorkist army was very well led each division could be counted on to do its duty king edward on foot in the centre was a host in himself his brother gloucester could always be relied on to do a useful piece of work on the right he was a careful and also brilliant and determined leader who never did anything to disturb the general plan of operations lord hastings on the left was not brilliant but he had solid qualities which were very useful to the king he was content to face and hold the enemy's right while edward and the dashing gloucester broke the opposite centre and left as the yorkist force advanced their artillerymen and archers sent deadly shots among the enemy who replied with their artillery and archers also had the lancastrians remained in their position it would have been very difficult for the yorkists to come to close quarters with them but edmund duke of somerset who commanded the lancastrian right judged it better to lead his knights and men-at-arms in a charge against the advancing enemy rather than to stand still and suffer from the yorkist missiles so he took a strong body of his men out of the park where they had their station into a deep lane which led forward toward the left flank of the yorkist centre thus he was able to approach quite close to the enemy without being perceived then suddenly issuing from the lane he boldly charged at the head of his men on to the surprised yorkists but king edward though surprised 
was not off his guard facing the charge and fighting as he always did on foot at the head of his men he steadied his ranks and received the attack of somerset with great firmness so that he not merely met and checked the charge but actually drove them back toward the lines they had just left at this critical moment somerset found himself suddenly charged from the outer side by a force of two hundred picked lances whom edward had previously detached to occupy a small wood below and to the west side of somerset's lines this new assailant on one side combined with edward's determined attack on the other was too much for somerset's knights to bear they gave way and king edward's men were able to advance into the park or enclosure of the lancastrian right wing making great slaughter as they went having broken the enemy's right or vowered edward turned his men against the lancastrian centre where under prince edward the main body made a desperate fight but the battle was soon over the break-up of their right had exposed their centre to a deadly turning movement before long the whole army was broken and scattered in hopeless rout the losses on the side of the lancastrians were extremely heavy their position though good for defence gave small means of retreat the duke of somerset fled for sanctuary to tewkesbury abbey it is said that when driven after his disastrous charge back to the lancastrian centre with his own axe he broke the head of lord wenlock and then turned his horse from the field lord wenlock under prince edward was in command of the centre he had not supported the charge of somerset but had merely kept his position the duke ascribed this inaction to treason yet there is much to be said in its favour it was somerset's charge that sacrificed all the advantages of a good position prince edward who is said to have been a handsome youth now aged seventeen and a half years was slain as he tried to leave the battlefield crying on the duke of clarence his brother-in-law for help the earl of devon fell fighting as did also somerset's brother john the duke of somerset was taken out of sanctuary in the abbey and beheaded for treason two days after the battle monday may sixth thus all the legitimate heirs of the house of beaufort were extinguished but a representative of john beaufort remained the lady margaret who had married edmund tudor earl of richmond their son henry tudor was at the time of the battle of tewkesbury in wales with his uncle jasper tudor earl of pembroke raising the country for queen margaret toward the rest of the lancastrian army king edward showed clemency although the sanctuary of the abbey could not legally protect them from the consequences of treason yet their lives were spared the bodies of prince edward and the other noble dead were buried with due obsequies in the abbey queen margaret who was found at a convent not far from the battlefield was taken prisoner to be brought to london to appear before the king's triumphal car england was thus rewon for king edward although not yet entirely subdued there still remained three troubled regions jasper tudor earl of pembroke and his nephew henry tudor were in arms in south wales there was a rising in yorkshire london itself was being menaced though edward himself did not know this by the bastard of folkenberg an illegitimate son of the earl of kent who had crossed the channel with men from the garrison of calais and landed at sandwich at about the time of the battle of tewkesbury 
but these obstacles to king edward melted away one after the other from tewkesbury he pushed northwards to coventry where he arrived on may eleventh there he received news that the rebellion in the north had collapsed largely owing to the efforts made in his behalf by henry percy the restored earl of northumberland at coventry edward rested his army for three clear days on receipt of news from london announcing the raising of kent by the bastard of folkenberg he led his army back to meet this new danger but ere he arrived at london all was practically over folkenberg with many of the men of kent had arrived at the south side of the river on may eleventh and demanded the release of king henry from the tower but the men of the city and the garrison of the tower under edward's brother-in-law antony lord rivers foiled the bold attempt of the bastard who after doing considerable damage to the houses on london bridge and plundering all the suburbs on the south of the river was compelled to fall back to sandwich by this time the army of king edward was quite close he entered london with great state and splendour on may twenty first with the captive queen margaret in his train footnote queen margaret was kept in england till fourteen seventy six when she was allowed to retire to france End footnote. his own queen and their son who throughout the campaign of tewkesbury had been living under the guardianship of lord rivers in the tower of london were ready to welcome him they had just escaped a serious danger had the bastard of folkenberg succeeded in his boldly conceived and well-executed plan as he might have done for the temper of the citizens was always uncertain he would have gained the person of king edward's wife son and heir and also of the old legitimate king henry the sixth as things turned out the bastard's attempt was a complete failure on may twenty third king edward followed him to sandwich and there accepted his surrender he was put in charge of the duke of gloucester but in september after attempting to escape he was beheaded the two tutors jasper earl of pembroke and his nephew henry were still in pembroke refusing to recognize the yorkist king they would not yield neither could they by themselves uphold the lancastrian power they remained in south wales for another three months probably in hiding in september they gave up their hopeless enterprise and sailed away to brittany long before this the sorrowful king henry had breathed his last he seems to have died on the same day as king edward entered london may twenty first one account says that hearing of the disaster at tewkesbury he died of pure displeasure and melancholy but many people believed he was murdered later writers point to the duke of gloucester as instrumental in his death with king henry the legitimate lancastrian line became extinct End of section twenty eight